Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 109 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is brought to us from our friends over at Interview Connections, and her name is Elizabeth Lotardo. Elizabeth is a consultant, researcher, and co-author of Selling with a Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. As the VP of Services at Sales Leadership Consultancy, McLeod & More, Elizabeth leads sales transformation initiatives for clients like Oracle, G-Adventures, and FistServe. She is a popular LinkedIn learning author, and her work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and on NPR. With an undergraduate degree in advertising from Boston University and a master's in organizational psychology, Elizabeth has enabled firms to drive employee engagement, competitive differentiation, and ultimately, revenue. Now, this was a really great conversation to have with Elizabeth because her ideas on this uh, concept behind noble purpose really ring true to me, and I think they're going to ring true to you. So I'm not going to say much more about this. This is a very exciting interview, and I want you to enjoy it for all that it's worth. So I'm going to stop talking right now and let you get into this interview with Elizabeth Lotardo. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Burn a Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and today's guest is Elizabeth Lotardo. Elizabeth, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, I really appreciate you being on here, and I'm looking forward to this conversation because, uh, you know, as as listeners heard in the pre-roll bio, uh, you have co-authored a book, a second edition of a book called Selling with Noble Purpose, and, and I love this idea of noble purpose. It's something my business partner and I use in what we do, so I really want to unpack that. But before we get into it, I uh, want to start you off where I start off all of my guests, When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? You know, I had the opportunity to listen to a couple of other answers on what does the phrase burden of command mean to you. And I certainly resonate with the theme of responsibility over command. But to me, the more interesting word to unpack here is burden. And I 
I think the word burden speaks to one of the pervasive challenges in the workforce as a whole, which is leadership often feels like a burden. It's a burden because a lot of the time you have another job to do on top of being a leader. It's a burden because you might not have enough training in leadership or enough support. And it's a burden because you're leading too many people. So while I think burden is a, a personally sad way to view leadership, unfortunately, I think it's accurate. And, and how a lot of people are experiencing leadership now, especially leading remotely uh yeah well i guess that, that's a really big one right now right is is the remote leadership and a lot of folks even folks who were doing a fairly decent job in a brick and mortar building mm-hmm. are kind of struggling with that remote leadership right now right it is much harder zoom fatigue is real <laughs> and i think we are all suffering from zoom fatigue right now whether we want to admit it or not because i don't know about you but i don't seem to go uh, uh very often in between zoom meetings or, or google hangouts or teams whatever your organization's using it all does the same thing right Absolutely. And I think from a leadership perspective, what's even more challenging is traditionally in a brick and mortar setting, leadership was made up of a lot of small interactions that weren't necessarily planned all the time. But hopping on a Zoom call and blocking out an hour has a level of formality that a lot of people aren't comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, that's a valuable point, because right now you can't just really get up and, you know, walk over and talk to your friend about, you know, last night's episode of whatever, or how did your kid's baseball game go without, like you said, scheduling, and that kind of takes that, that intimacy of that conversation away. It can, but I don't think it necessarily has to. Zoom, while it can be exhausting when you are on it for eight hours a day, it is an opportunity to have more focused attention and better one-on-ones with the team that you're leading. That's true. That's true. And that comes back to the leadership uh, and building that culture and that understanding and, and driving those meetings better. And, and probably some responsibility of, of not just having a meeting for the sake of, of uh, filling time, but having purpose-driven meetings too, right? Mm-hmm. Especially because so many communications now are tactical. We don't have, like you said, those hallway bump-ins where we're all sort of building this team dynamic together. We're emailing about logistics and deliverables and metrics. And the, the special sauce of an organization can easily get lost when it is not intentionally brought forward by the leader. Yeah, well, so we, we've kind of bumped into these words a couple of times already, you know, purpose-driven and, and uh, tactical and all that kind of good stuff. So let's just go ahead and dive into selling with uh, noble purpose. Now, uh, I think we all have some vague understanding, uh, some of us better than others, but of what a, what a purpose-driven business is and should be. But just so we're starting from a common ground here, like for, for you, What do you mean when you talk about a purpose-driven business? What I mean when I talk about a purpose-driven business is a business that is oriented around making a difference to their customers, as opposed to the traditional business, which is typically oriented around making money for ourselves. Our belief in purpose-driven business is backed by a good bit of research that has tracked public and private organizations against those transactional organizations. And it turns out that the organizations who are what we consider purpose-driven, who put making a difference to the customers at the core of the business and are laser-like focused on that, those organizations are ultimately more financially successful, which is kind of ironic because they're not focused on it, but they're also much more more enjoyable places to work, which really speaks to the leadership element of this. So to me, purpose-driven business means 
why is your business here? And we know that when the why is your business here is to make a difference to customers, that is the most successful form of a purpose-driven business. And that's kind of that that noble purpose, right? Because, you know, Mm -hmm. having a business to make a product, that's a purpose. Uh, Having a business to, well, to make money, that's a purpose. But they don't have the same emphasis, like you said, as as having a business to, you know, let's say like a a Tom's. That's one that a lot of people know, right? You buy Mm -hmm. a pair of shoes, a a pair of shoes gets donated. They've made their noble purpose very well known. Uh, But... So, so what is the psychological impact of having a noble purpose versus a purpose? That's a great question. You caught on to a really important distinction, which is that word noble, because it captures the sense of in the service for others versus in the service for myself and my balance sheet. And while I love Tom's and I'm ad- admiring you know, how much they've done for, for their community at large through philanthropy, a noble purpose can be selling a product that adds value to a customer. You can have a noble purpose in manufacturing and software sales, certainly in medical. And I, again, I, I think people get hung up on the term purpose-driven business because it is so closely tethered to philanthropy. But to me, a purpose-driven business is one that makes money, and they make money because they're adding value to their customers. Well, yeah, and, and as you mentioned earlier, it, it's almost easier to do that because your customers, uh, on the customer side, they kind of want to see you succeed when you're doing that, right? They do. And it speaks to the psychological, going back to your question, the psychological ramifications of this. From a consumer, we want to buy from organizations. There's some great research on this from EY lately. We want to buy from organizations we feel like are positively impacting the world. It doesn't mean they have to give away every cent of profit. It means that we see how they add value to the communities around us, even through paying products. And from an employee perspective, we want to do work that we know makes a difference. Human beings have a fundamental need to have significance in their life. And if you believe your work is nothing more than making money for some guy at the top and hitting some target that doesn't really matter to you, you're not going to experience that significance at work. Versus if you believe your work is really impactful, you're doing things that matter, the world is better better off having having the work that you've produced, that is a really different personal experience, one that adds up over time. Well, yeah, and you know, we we saw some of this happen during the pandemic, especially early on, when you would see, uh, you know, we saw like uh, distilleries that would convert all of their uh, all of their production over to making alcohol because we had a, an alcohol uh, a rubbing alcohol uh, shortage uh, in the beginning, and and those are some nice, easy ways. Uh, easy with a purpose ways uh, to really get your organization kind of in that purpose-driven mindset, right? I think what those organizations demonstrated was an outward focus. They acted swiftly and with confidence because they were looking at their customers, looking at the communities they operate in, and asking, how can I be of service to these people? Versus a lot of businesses, many of who unfortunately don't exist anymore after the last 14 months of the pandemic, took that moment and looked inwardly. And how can we protect ourselves and make sure we hit these metrics? And what we're seeing now, many months later, is how drastically different those two businesses turned out. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, again, we've kind of talked about it a little bit here, but, you know, that that's that's the big thing with with this type of business and this type of 
of leadership is the communities, whether it's a physical community like a town or a city, or or whether it's your community, your employees. You know, again, that just doubles down on that. They want to see you succeed because you're taking care of them in return. And and that's how, to me, correct me if I'm wrong here, that seems to be how businesses can build this this resiliency when they face their own hardships, right? Absolutely. Businesses and individuals. There was a really interesting study that came out of a Michigan State University last year that looked at sales motivation, which is kind of the area I tend to operate in. And what they found, Dr. Valerie Good, the head of the study, found was that salespeople who are focused on making a difference to their customers and adding value, individual salespeople, they outperform financially salespeople who are focused on their own targets and quotas, but they also demonstrate more resilience and more tenacity because they know someone depends on them. Mm. Uh, and that's that's really important, especially uh, when we're talking about workforces. Uh, you know, there were all these statistics that were floating around. You don't hear them that much anymore. So uh, I kind of wonder why that is. But, you know, millennials kept getting beat over the head so long for, you know, they change work every two and a half years. They, mm-hmm. they, they're they not loyal to their businesses. It sounds to me like this was maybe at a, at a root of why millennials like to change work so much, right? It certainly could be. I'll I'll speak, I guess, as a token millennial, there's some interesting research around around motivation and how it differs generationally. But what we know about purpose is that everyone wants this. There is an inherent human desire to want to make a difference and lead a significant life. Millennials are one of the first generations to change their job if their job is not fulfilling that. Previously, you could find that fulfillment in church and your family and volunteering for your community. It wasn't expected from the workplace, but that is changing. Yeah, and well, and that's good, right? Because, you know, full disclosure for listeners, I don't know how old people think I am about doing this show, but I'm, I'm a cusper. Like I'm right at the tail end of Generation X and right at the beginning of the millennial generation. And to to add a little bit more weirdness to it, I was raised uh, by my grandfather, who was the greatest generation. So I've got like three generational influences going on in my life here. Uh, But that was exactly it. Like when I was working with uh, leaders and trying to get them to understand that, it was like, you have a problem keeping millennials because you have a problem valuing what they do. You believe all the negative, uh, all the negativity that's being said, and you don't value them and give them the opportunities because millennials bring a lot to the table, even right now when I'm sure most of the listeners right now, if they went and looked what, years encompass the millennial generation they'd probably be shocked to find that they're a millennial themselves yeah we're like 30 now so (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know and and, you know the point is is the millennial generation when you look at the numbers they're one of the highest uh they've reached some of the highest levels of education of any previous generation they volunteer their time at a higher rate than any other generation uh and and they have done their homework and they want to be able to come into organizations and contribute right away, not because they're cocky, but because they want to come to an organization that has a stated purpose that lives up to the purpose. And as you all talk a little bit uh, in your book and some of the other things that you do, not every business that has a stated purpose is actually living up to that purpose, right? 
Correct. Purpose is the hot topic these days. And we're seeing the exact same thing we saw with values about 12 years or so ago. Everyone wanted to make these awesome core values. They put them on plaques in the marble lobby. They had them all over t-shirts. But at the end of the day, they didn't mean anything. I think uh, Enron had the value integrity and Wells Fargo had the value of customer first. So we saw a real difference in the companies that hired an expensive ad agency to come up with these sexy words and the companies that actually operated that way. And the same thing is happening with purpose. We're seeing a lot of awesome statements on websites, but the proof is in the pudding in terms of behavior. Uh, Yeah, well, and I guess it's, uh, so let me ask this question. How can an organization, let's say uh, some of my entrepreneurs or even some of my established C-suite executive types are sitting here and they're asking themselves, wow, what is our purpose? What is a good way to figure out, quote, your purpose and having it be something that you can execute and follow through? A great way to figure out your purpose is to ask what we call the game-changing question, and that's this. How are customers different as a result of doing business with you? And it's tempting to say things like, oh, well, they have new software. Oh, they have, you know, better equipment. But really push yourself to explore the ripple effect. And then what? And then what? And then what? What do you enable them to do? And I guarantee you, unless you are a fraudulent organization, if customers are spending money with you, you do make a difference to them. You are improving their lives and their businesses. It's just a little tricky to figure out how to say that from the inside. Well, yeah, no, I, I can imagine because most most people probably never went through that exercise. And, uh, you know, I like that is it's just keep asking the, the question and, um, you know, and, and I, I would imagine in some way, shape or form, your customers tell you, don't they? Of course they do. Go If you need some inspiration, go read through your online reviews and you will see just how impactful your products, your solutions, your offerings are. We just tend to lose that lens in the cadence of day-to-day business because we have a lot to do and there's a lot going on. But zooming in on how you make a difference to your customers, making that the centerpiece of your individual leadership narrative, the centerpiece of your organization, it pays huge dividends down the road. So with that in mind, Whose responsibility is it to set this purpose? Is it the CEOs? Is it the C-suite as a whole? Is it, uh, you know, the janitor? Who, who has the responsibility to identify and execute that purpose? I would say all of the above. It is certainly, it's certainly helpful to have alignment of purpose at the executive level, especially if that purpose is cascaded throughout the organization. That said, if you're listening to this conversation and you're thinking, my organization doesn't have a purpose, my CEO is totally transactional, like they don't get it, individuals can do this for themselves. You ask the same questions. How are customers different as a result of doing business with you? How does your job impact them? So the responsibility is on all of us to create purpose-driven organizations. CEOs don't control the entire narrative, though uh, some publications would lead you to believe otherwise. <laughs> well, And some CEOs would lead you to believe otherwise. Too, <laughs> right. right. I think that might be news to a few. <laughs> But, you know, and that's 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 important because, uh, you know, the reason I asked the question that way is because, you know, it, it is so important for us as as employees to understand that, you know, we, we so often sit back and wait for the manager. Why won't the manager do something? Mm-hmm. Why won't the CEO do something? But we can take that we can take that responsibility and do something ourselves. Right. 
You absolutely can. And the only person paying the price for waiting is you. Yeah. No, I love that. <laughs> that, that that's clear and to the point. And, and you know, that, that price really is usually unhappiness at work, which can spill over to be unhappiness at home, right? Absolutely. Especially when you're working virtually. You used to have the ride into the office to kind of pump yourself up, put your game face on, and the ride home to cool down. But the transitions happen in a microsecond now. I'm 15 feet away from my living room as we have this conversation. So when you are not feeling like your work matters, you're not feeling like you're making a difference, that absolutely has a spillover effect onto the rest of your life, which is devastatingly sad because most people who have feelings like that, those feelings aren't entirely factual otherwise they wouldn't be employed well yeah no and and for the for the employer it's sad because you you spend a lot of time if you have that environment you spend a lot of time on backfilling positions and not necessarily making a lot of headway right Absolutely. I wrote a piece uh, a couple years ago, pre-coronavirus, it'd be interesting to see now, which is, um, which is more important, employee engagement or employee retention? And that is exactly what leaders are facing now. Is it wiser financially, innovation-wise, morale-wise, to focus on keeping employees engaged or is it better to focus on keeping them? Because we know that people change jobs a lot more quickly now. So I think that dynamic is an interesting one to explore when you invest in your workforce. What are you investing to do? Are you investing to keep them engaged? Are you investing to keep them, you know, clocking in on their online computer at the same time every day? What's the goal? Yeah, no, I like that. So um, how permanent is a purpose. Let's say we go through this exercise today and we identify what our noble purpose is. Is that going to be our noble purpose for the entirety of the organization's existence? The entirety of an organization's existence is a long time, hopefully. Hopefully. But I, I would say purpose is more constant than something like a strategy. It's certainly more constant than a product. It's more constant than a target or an objective, but it isn't written in stone for the rest of time. And I think that notion that it is, is what keeps a lot of people from fully embracing it because it's a, a tough commitment to make when you think you can never change it again. So I will say that, you know, five, 10 years down the line, purposes might flex. We don't know what the world is going to look like. That's been absolutely clear from the last 12 months, but a purpose isn't something you want to be changing all of the time. It's something that should be pretty consistent. Right. And, and so that should give folks some kind of, uh, some kind of better point of view towards purpose because in a world where everything is changing all the time, purpose is fairly constant. Yes, it is fairly constant. But again, don't put too much pressure on yourself to come up with the perfect thing. And I think, you know, related to this is a conversation about like, is it a statement? Is it a feeling? Who knows? I believe in purpose statements. I think putting words to something makes it much more powerful, but it is possible to have a purpose-driven experience without a well-crafted statement. You just have to be dialed into how you're making a difference. For most organizations, um, how do you see that this purpose and the organization's culture relating to one another? They are closely connected. 
your purpose should be at the centerpiece of your culture. You know, I think there's a an interesting reframe on the word culture now, kind of like the word purpose. It's been talked about a lot over the last five years. And for some companies, culture is how do we all feel about each other? What do we believe in? And for other companies, culture is on Fridays, we play ping pong and we have a kegerator in the office. So <laughs> I think defining what we mean by culture, I certainly stay on the side of a, how do we feel? How do we treat each other? That that aspect of it. But to me, if you have a clear purpose as an organization, we'll take a, a client I work with, Atlantic Capital Bank, for example. They're a commercial bank and their purpose is we fuel prosperity. That is the centerpiece of their culture. That is the centerpiece of their internal relationships, their conversations, everything that goes on in that organization. It's not about ping pong and free smoothies. It is about their purpose. So I think culture and purpose are are really tethered together. And if you have a clear purpose, it's a lot easier to create a great culture because you have something to create based on versus a ping pong table. No, I like that. And so if you can, uh, don't want to violate any confidentiality agreements or whatever. Uh, but, you know, some of these things are, are fairly obvious to folks, right? We talked about Tom's, you know, you buy a pair of shoes, you give a pair of shoes. Uh, there's, uh, what's the socks? Bombas. They do the same yep. thing. Uh, but but that purpose right there was increased prosperity. Uh, how How can an organization like take something like that that seems kind of intangible and and extremely hard to measure. Like, how do you execute a purpose like that? So we'll stick on the We Fuel Prosperity example. Again, that's Atlantic Capital Bank's purpose. And they're very public about it and have talked about how their purpose has enabled them to win some great talent, win Best Place to Work awards, et cetera, et cetera. But back to your question, how do you make something that is kind of abstract and gauzy, like fueling prosperity real and alive in an organization? And they do it in several ways. First, in meetings, they ask, is this initiative going to help our customers fuel prosperity? Or is it not? So they use that as a lens for decision making through every level of the organization. Another thing they lean on their purpose for is hiring. What role do we need to help fuel prosperity? What type of person could help fuel prosperity the best in this situation? So a lens for decision making, a lens for hiring, and lastly, they use it as a lens for customer conversations. If you are a salesperson, again, getting back into selling with noble purpose, if you are a salesperson and your purpose is to fuel prosperity, you are asking very different questions than if your purpose is to close a loan. Closing a loan is what will often happen as a result of that conversation, but it's not the purpose. So they use We Fuel Prosperity to generate discovery questions and have more interesting conversations with their clients and build deeper relationships. So I would say those three areas, decision-making, hiring, and sales interactions are three places where you can really bring what could easily be an abstract purpose to life and give it some teeth. Well, no, and I love that example and the way you, you kind of unpack that because if we if folks remember back to the 2008 kind of housing bubble, that was kind of at the root of it. Like like banks weren't asking that question. They, they were operating right. <laughs> to that point of we just want to close as many loans as we can, not having those conversations about, you know, yeah, um, I was living in New Mexico at the time and there was this lady that interviewed on the radio. She was making like $35,000 a year. And somehow she got approved for a $1.2 million mortgage. Like, how, you know, because... Insane. Yeah, because they were wanting to close mortgages, not think. 
can somebody making $35,000 a year support a $1.2 million mortgage? They, right. They will never live a prosperous life yeah. with a mortgage like that. So that's a perfect example. It's exactly how a purpose can change your lens on something. And I would imagine, you know, because a lot of organizations now are really kind of taking up this mantle of, of uh, corporate social responsibility. They're trying to figure mm -hmm. out exactly how they fit into their communities as, as a corporation, as an entity. It probably focuses that a little bit too, right? It can certainly help you make that decision. I love the fact that so many organizations are really taking a serious look at what it means to be a good corporate citizen and having some really powerful CSR initiatives. And your purpose can help you get clear on that. Instead of, you know, we want to donate 1% of our profit to who should we pick, it can help you get specific. What does our purpose mean to our community? How can we action that better in a philanthropic way? Give you a little bit more, again, teeth to something that could be abstract. Mm. And you mentioned hiring before. That can, that can play into it too, right? Because uh, a lot of these communities, a lot of these segments, they, they, they don't necessarily need the money as much as they need the opportunity, right? Absolutely. And when you don't have a purpose, the notion of CSR is really easy just to, you know, check the box. We gave away, you know, X percent of our earnings to charity and now we're good corporate citizens. But when you apply the lens of purpose, it does force you to think more creatively and it forces you to think bigger and bolder and more strategically than just checking the box on good corporate citizen. Yeah, no. <laughs> and this is why I love this, right? I'm, I'm loving this conversation. So I'm really glad that uh, that we're able to have this. So thank you for, for being a guest. Um, but, you know, this goes back. I don't know if you've heard these terms. I've talked about them on here a few times before, but uh, finite and infinite gains. Are you familiar with those? Vaguely, but it would be helpful for you to calibrate. I, I know for me and for the folks listening. No, not a problem. So, you know, uh, the real short version, uh, you know, uh, a finite game has a clear set of rules. Everybody agrees upon them that, that is playing the game. And it's very structured. You, you know that if you score, it's worth X number of points. You know that uh, you're going to play X number of periods. You know, a very stereotypical baseball, football, Monopoly, chess, checkers. Those are finite games. There's an end result. There's a point where you can sit there and say, hey, I did this. This was a metric for victory. I'm not playing the game anymore because I won. Whereas infinite games, they they really they have rules, but the rules don't exist to indicate a winner. They exist to keep the game going, um, and it they're they're nimble. And there's really no winner because the game, the purpose of the game is to keep playing the game. And so what we're talking about here, this is why it reminded me of that, is like. Like you said, when you write a check and that's it, that's a very finite game. That's a short-term mm -hmm. game. When you do these things and take corporate social responsibilities and your hiring practices and how can you help the community and all of these things, that's an infinite game because you're never going to stop doing those things because, as we talk, it's going to bring success and you're going to kind of get that snowball effect. Well, the reason that's important is if an infinite game and a finite game are being played at the same time, the infinite game's always going to win because the finite game eventually runs, either somebody wins and they stop playing the game or they run out of resources. Mm -hmm. So that, go ahead. I, I definitely agree. And tell me if you agree with this. Based on your definitions, I would say that an organization 
cannot play an exclusively finite game and survive. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, they, they cannot survive. I 100% agree with you. It's interesting. I, I kind of draw a similar parallel in my writing, and I, I talk about how much I hate sports analogies because sports is completely different than business. There is no, like, end point, really. There is no clear <laughs> winner and loser. Right. Business is more like a cooking competition where you do your best and so do the other people, and the people behind the table judge you. And it's some of it's based on what you made, some of it's based on how you presented it, some of it's based on their personal taste, but it's not as clear as a sports game ever. No, and and it shouldn't be, you know? And, and, and like you said, we see that, right? The, the folks who... You know, the, the folks who play that are the ones we, we kind of talked about some of them earlier. But, you know, think about the the uh, issues that Volkswagen had about mm-hmm. gas mileage. Well, that's because they were playing a finite game of having the highest MPG that they could, not making the best car that they could that would have better gas mileage. I love that you brought up that example. A crazy fact about the Volkswagen debacle, their whole emission scandal, was that Volkswagen, several, several, several decades ago, upon first conceptualization, was a very purpose-driven organization until the mid-2000s when they changed their purpose. This goes back to our conversation of, is your purpose constant or does it change? They changed theirs, and their purpose became to beat Toyota. Mm-hmm. That is not a value-adding purpose. That's not doing any, <laughs> anything for anyone except yourselves. Right. So one could argue that that was an early indicator when the language changed away from providing these quality things, playing the infinite game, adding value to the customers and communities we serve. When that changed to look internally, everything collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I like that, you know, because the auto industry to me is one that suffers from this the most. And being in sales, I'm sure you understand the, the differentiator. You, know, you want that one thing that makes you different. Well, that's why as a consumer, when you're sitting at home and you're watching these commercials, right, every single car made is the best in the world at something, right? Yes. <laughs> And it's like, you know, okay, that's great. You're, you're the best subcompact uh, car that begins with a letter H. I love it. Fine. But you sacrifice, this is me talking, tell me where you agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. Because you're so focused on that one thing, you sacrifice all the other things that you could be doing. I agree with that. And I also think an element of that is... When you are on the inside of a business, you're in the thick of it all day, every day. You know exactly what all of the awards are that your business wants to win. You know what the objectives are. But as a consumer, we're not paying attention to the 500 different types of car awards you can win. And no one is buying a car based on the commercials that say we're the best, you know, compact car that starts with an H or whatever. They're buying based on the experience with the salesperson and the dealership. And to me, when that sales experience is one that's focused on adding value, it's much more successful than a sales experience that's focused on let me get you to sign this dotted line and that's really clear to see in the auto industry who's really struggled with that yeah well i mean there's a reason why (laughs) there's a reason why volkswagen changed their purpose to beat toyota because toyota does a pretty good job at that right yeah they do and 
Beating Toyota is a fine objective in terms of forecasting and strategic planning, but it's hardly a purpose. Beating Toyota (laughs) is not something that necessarily adds value to your community, adds value to your employees, really encapsulates how the world is different as a result of your business being in it. It's just inwardly focused. Well, and and I would imagine because we've kind of brushed up against it here on this part, but it sounds to me like having this this purpose that you're attuned to, this that that you've really thought through, that you know actually means something worth pursuing. When you look at it for your sales team, it makes their job so much easier. I would imagine, right? It does. It becomes so much more clear who you should be calling on, the types of conversations you can be having. When you put a lens to it that is outwardly focused, you can categorize much easier. And that's the challenge with those we want to be Toyota statements. We see it all the time. We want to be the number one provider. We want to be the most trusted. All of those are about you, but a business exists to serve the people outside of you, your customers, your community. So that is exactly what your purpose has to focus on, not you well i love it i love it well again listeners we've been talking about uh the book selling with noble purpose uh, how to drive revenue and do work that makes you proud um and i think we've done a really good job at at discussing the 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 benefits of having a purpose how to identify a purpose um and so i'm hoping that the listeners have taken a lot of value out of the discussion we've had up to this point Um, is there anything about purpose that maybe we haven't touched on yet, uh, before we kind of shift a little bit here that, that you want to mention? You know, I'll double down on a point that we, we started with, which is that purpose does not mean you have to quit your day job. It doesn't mean you have to give all of your money away. It doesn't mean you have to work in healthcare or you have to work for a nonprofit or do something like that. If you are employed, if you are doing a job that makes a difference, you have purpose. It might be a little more challenging to see on the surface, but explore your ripple effect. Explore why your job exists, why your organization exists, and in there you will find the seeds of purpose. So if you're listening to this thinking, oh, I'm just an accountant at this normal manufacturing company, or oh, I work in operations for this completely, you know, average widget company. There is purpose in there. If people are buying what your company is selling, there is purpose in your role, and you have to search for it. Mm, love that. So up to this point, we've really been talking about kind of like the the this purpose on the the outward facing. What does a business do to serve the community? But do do these things hold true? Like say from a leadership standpoint, do leaders need their own noble purpose as to why they want to be in a leadership role and 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 lead followers? I certainly think you need to be motivated to be in a leadership role. And if you're not, the the chances of your team paying the price for that are pretty high. Whether they need their own noble purpose or not, I'm not sure. To me, a purpose is something that is one above that individual level and connects an organization together. But if you wanted to have a purpose of your leadership, like I lead to inspire my team, I lead to help them grow professionally, and that's something that motivates you, that can be really powerful. Yeah, no, I, I agree, you know, and I, because working with leaders uh, primarily on this, I I always find that it's a little bit more difficult or or the leaders 
that go into it with the purpose of, well, I wanted to get promoted so I could make more money are usually the ones that struggle with taking on that actual leading of people part. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the ones that go into it because, you know, I want to, I want to have a positive impact on people's lives or I had a bad leader that I worked for. I want to be a better leader for the people that, you know, I've been working with or, or so they don't have that same experience that I do. They seem to have a little bit easier time because they and, have a purpose. An easier time and probably a much more enjoyable time. Yeah. And their employees that they're leading probably have a better experience as well, which is circling all the way back to the burden of leadership. When you approach leadership as a burden, that is exactly how you will experience it versus approaching leadership as an opportunity to really make a difference. That more purpose-driven approach, your experience and the experience of your employees absolutely changes. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. So from a general perspective, again, not necessarily focused on, on purpose, because I know you, uh, you get to go in and, and talk with a lot of organizations and discuss some of these things here, but in your, in your experiences with just workplace culture, period, mm-hmm. how important is that to an organization? How important is culture to an organization? Yeah. Culture is everything, especially when you are working remotely, which wherever your organization is on the back to office, hybrid, working remotely spectrum, remote work is here to stay. If you're not doing it, your customers are doing it. Some of your organization will probably be doing it, at least in part, for, for the foreseeable future. But to me, the real crux of this, the most important element of culture is why are people showing up? And if that answer isn't clear, the culture needs some work because if people aren't motivated to make a difference, if they don't feel connected to their peers based on that same motivation, work really quickly becomes just checking boxes. And we know from the research that when workplaces become about just checking boxes, just hitting quarterly deliverables, just trying to keep your head above water, they fail. Mm. No, I love it. And, and, and the reason I asked that question that way is I didn't want anybody uh, listening to this because we have really talked about purpose a lot you know, think that, that these things just matter from that perspective. Like the things that you and I've been talking about here, they're really holistic. They're things that should be part of an organization's DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and whether you call it purpose or whether you call it our why statement, what we've gotten to here is an organization has to have a compelling reason to exist, no matter what you call it. And that reason has to live in the hearts of your employees, it has to live in the hearts of your customers, and it has to live in the hearts of the communities you serve. Otherwise, someone's going to come take your lunch. You're not doing anything for people. <laughs> that is 100% accurate right there. Um now, as I mentioned, you you co-authored this book. It's a second edition uh, book uh, with uh, Lisa McLeod. And yes. you're with an organization, McLeod and more. Um, what what do you all do? Just so so the, the listeners know, like what, what is it that, that you all do and how do you help organizations? 
So McLeod & Moore is a consulting firm, and we specialize in helping sales-driven organizations create a culture of purpose. So that's everything from creating a purpose statement to training managers on how to talk about the purpose to helping employees connect their individual role to the purpose of that organization. So we do a number of consulting projects. We do a number of training programs. And the founder of our firm and the primary author of Selling with Noble Purpose, Lisa McLeod, is also a keynote speaker. Outstanding. Um, so if, if an organization wanted to reach out to you all to uh, maybe have you come in, if they want to find out more about you and more about uh, Lisa McLeod, where to get the book, uh, how are some ways that they can do that? You know, the beautiful thing about search engine optimization is you can Google Noble Purpose and you will find me and our organization. <laughs> you can also find me on LinkedIn backslash Elizabeth Letardo. And I'd love to have conversations about this, even if someone is taking up the this purpose-driven role by themselves and committed to operating in a purpose-driven way inside an organization that might not be, that's fine too. It's going to take a lot of people with deep commitments to move the needle on our entire workforce. I love it. I love it. Well, before we uh, close out here, I got one more, one last question for you. <laughs> Have you ever actually had anybody argue with you against the power of purpose? Of course. Oh, like really? all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, this is a different way of thinking. And I certainly don't take the argument personally. There was decades of schooling, leadership schooling, tons of MBA programs that rested on the belief that the purpose of a business was to deliver money to shareholders. That is so deep in the psyche of so many CEOs, of so many leaders, that the purpose of a business is to deliver value to shareholders. And you're part of that. You show up, you make money, you go home. And the suggestion that that might not be the purpose of a business, and maybe you should have a really fulfilling experience at work, to people who spent decades believing otherwise is very threatening. And I completely understand that. But the truth is in the research, and I'm not the only one preaching this. We have research from EY, McKenzie, Harvard, UCLA, Michigan State that I referenced earlier, groundswells of research that prove not only is a purpose-driven approach more economically beneficial to a business, it is also more enjoyable to the people in it. And I know that's a tough pill to swallow, and I know it goes against what so many schools taught for so long, but again, the research bears it out. I, I guess I was a little shocked to hear that because, you know, like you said, like, you know, 10 years ago or so, I, I, I would think that people were still a holdout. But I guess my uh, uh, my my optimism to a fault kicked in there and I figured everybody got it now. Uh, the world is not what your LinkedIn feed would lead you to believe, uh, unfortunately. Dang. But the more progressive organizations and the organizations that we're starting to see really emerge powerfully from this pandemic are the organizations who recognized this a couple of years ago. That said, you know, I, I talked to a lot of organizations who are like, oh, I wish we did this five years ago. We should have done this 10 years ago. There's an ancient Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 100 years ago, and the second best time is today. Nope. The train has not left the station yet. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, I asked you a version of this question earlier, really just about purpose there, but I'm going to ask you again, just in case, uh, before we close out here, is there anything that, that we didn't get a chance to share yet that you really want to kind of like from a holistic approach to this conversation? 
You know, I think we captured it. I've really enjoyed this discussion, and I know both of us have a core belief that work should be a valuable and meaningful place to spend your time and not some anonymous box-checking organization. So I, I hope that the listeners here have gathered some strategies, whether you're the CEO, whether you're an individual contributor, to bring more meaning and fulfillment into your day-to-day job. No, I love it. And, and thank you for having the conversation with us and, and bringing this. And again, folks, uh, you heard her, just go Google Noble Purpose and you'll be able to find them. But I'll I'll make it even easier for you. And I'll put some links in the show notes so you can go straight to it. Because uh, I know some people can't uh, uh, can't Google all that well, even to these days. So we'll, we'll get you hooked up. Um, but yeah, no, again, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate this uh, this past 45 minutes or so of conversation. It, it's brought me a lot, and I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, thank you for being with me and my listeners. Thank you for having me. It was great to chat with you. Absolutely. And folks, uh, you want to reach out to me, burden.command at gmail.com. I appreciate you all spending the last 45 minutes or so uh, with Elizabeth and I. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, right? You all are doing a great job of, of rating the show and sharing with your friends and helping the show grow. It all shows up in the, uh, the metrics there. So thank you uh, for doing that for me and for my guests like Elizabeth so their messages can get spread further and reach more people and spread this idea of selling with a noble purpose. It's an idea worth spreading. So thank you for taking that responsibility very seriously. With that, thank you all one last time for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric Acid. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.